Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. Mary's encounter with Jesus and then her resulting conversation with the disciples is found in Mark 16. And you might read this and you know you find out that they didn't believe her and you're like, oh my words, uh, a bunch of guys not believing an emotional woman. Like nothing is like changed in 2,000 years. <laughs> but I think the greater question is why? Why is it that the disciples didn't believe? Why was it so hard for them to fathom that what Mary was saying was true? I think there's something deeper here. I think there's something that we can learn on this journey to Easter. I think we can learn from the disciples' encounter from Jesus. Why? And you might say, well, Doug, well, it seems it's pretty clear why they struggled, why they couldn't believe. I mean, Jesus, they just saw him crucified. Uh, dead for like these excruciating long days and people stayed dead that's why they didn't believe mary but i think there's something more because jesus wanted to be incredibly clear with his disciples about what was to come but yet they were struggling to believe they were struggling to really listen to what jesus had to say to them and isn't that true for you and I? I mean, there are things that we've read multiple times or things about Jesus that we've heard multiple times, but we've not really listened. Uh, it's not really embedded deep in our soul. We've, we've not really got it. We have actually missed it or minimalized it. Can you admit? Can I admit that there are times in my life where there is someone speaking and I might hear the words, but I'm not really listening. Has that ever happened to you? Your spouse is talking to you and there's a screen on somewhere. And, and you know, you're like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. There's this whole conversation. And then a little bit of time goes by and maybe some balls are dropped and like it comes up, well, don't you remember when we talked about this? And you're like, no, I would just swear. There is no way we ever had this conversation. You heard the words, but you weren't really listening. What about like parents and like their kids? Kids like, you know, you, your parents are talking and you just realize like this is not going to be like a two-sentence conversation and you got stuff going on, so you just tune out. The words are being spoken, you might hear them, but you know, you're not really listening. What about maybe you uh, have a professor or a teacher? And they're talking about something, and you're like, I already know this. I already get this. But then something happens in your life. Maybe there's a test or a project or a circumstance comes into your life, and you know your grades or the resulting uh, what happens for that time in your life proves that you didn't really get it. You didn't really know. Maybe there's a friend, and they're just pouring their heart out to you. Oh, what's going on in their life? And, you know, the words are being spoken and you're hearing, but you're just like really hungry. And so finally they sort of wrap up, you know, this like heart story and your response is, let's go get tacos, right? Their words have been spoken. You've heard the words, but you're not really listening. 
And if you've ever been on the other side of the conversation where you're the one that's doing the talking and you know that somebody really isn't listening, you know, you're like, why won't people listen to me? Why aren't people getting it? Do you ever think that Jesus felt that way, that people weren't always really listening to him, like even his closest followers weren't really listening to him? Do you think God ever feels that way? Do you think the Holy Spirit ever feels that way? He's like, you know, I've been so clear about what they are to do or not to do. And then he or she just does the opposite. It's like anybody really listening. So let's go back to the first Easter. Let's go back to that time of disbelief. And here's why. I wonder if the disciples were really listening to Jesus. Because on the journey to Easter, Jesus is clear. He is direct about what is to come. He, he doesn't want his disciples to be confused or dismayed or surprised. He is so direct multiple times. In Matthew 16, we read it like this. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Uh, he began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Multiple times, Jesus talks plainly to his closest followers. No uh, complex parables, no teachings that are incredibly hard to understand. Jesus talks clearly and plainly. He doesn't hold back. Jesus is speaking. The disciples hear the words, but they're not really listening. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 33, you know, we, we get the exact same thing again. Jesus clearly communicating to his disciples, to his closest followers, what is to come. And the disciples hear the news. And this is what we want, right? We want them to be, oh, Jesus, that is like, terrible. That, that is horrible. We don't get it. We don't fully understand. Just tell us what to do. How can we help you? Where should we meet up three days from now? You know, this is horrible, but, but we're a part of your team. We're following you. We hear you. We're listening to you. What should we do? But that isn't what happens, right? In, in verse 35, this is what happens. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. That's what happens. Do you, do you think they're really listening to Jesus? They're hearing the words, but are they really listening to Jesus? This would be like you and I. Somebody just told us that they had cancer. We're like, well, really sorry about your cancer. Could, could you do me a favor? Or someone tells you that they've just lost their job, and you're like, well, that's horrible. Hey, could you just help me out in this way? Or so you find out that someone has just lost a loved one who is so incredibly close and near and dear to them. And your response is, hey, hey, would you mind doing something for me? And what is this favor? What is the favor that James and John want Jesus to do after hearing this news? 
Well, it's like, Jesus, we, we want the best seats of honor and power. We want the seat to your right. We want the seat to your left when you make it to your throne. Can we have that pretty please? That's what they're asking for after Jesus was incredibly clear about what is to come. And Jesus is like, you know what? You don't know what you're asking for. You cannot handle like this, like baptism of suffering that is coming my way. And their response is, oh yeah, we can. We got this. We can do this. But would you do this favor for us? And we find out that the other disciples find out what happened, what they asked. And the other disciples are indignant. In other words, they're angry and they're upset. And it doesn't seem like the other disciples are angry and upset because, you know, James and John are insensitive. They're more upset because they didn't think about it first. They're upset because James and John think that they should have the place and they think that they should have those positions and those places of power. And we can observe this from 2,000 years distance and think, come on, guys. Come on, aren't you really listening? Did you just, couldn't you get what Jesus was just telling you? Are you paying any attention? No wonder you didn't believe Mary that first Easter morning. And then this is what you and I like to believe about ourselves, right? We, we wouldn't miss this. I wouldn't have been this insensitive. Oh, we would have listened to what Jesus had to say. We would have never switched right into favor mode. Come on, you know you, you know me. That Easter morning, we would have been outside that tomb just waiting for it to open up because we would have been listening to Jesus. And then something comes up in your life or my life. Something that I've heard or that I've read so many times. And the way that I respond or the way that I react or what I do or don't do just shows that I wasn't really listening. Holy Spirit just basically elbows me and says, not a lot's changed in 2,000 years, has it, Doug? Because there are some things that God is speaking. And sometimes it feels like just nobody is really listening, and that includes you, and that includes me. So what are some of the things that God speaks, that Jesus speaks, that we might hear or read the words, but we're not really listening to? I want us to look at two of them today. And I want us to go to Mark 10, right where we left off. And Jesus has told them, you know, you can't take what's coming my way. And when he realizes they're not really listening, when he's realizing they're not really getting, he draws everybody together. And in verse 42, he has this to say. He says, so Jesus called them all together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. In other words, Jesus comes out this time. He's told them what's coming his way on the journey to Easter. And they weren't listening. They didn't really hear what he had to say. They weren't getting it. So he says, come on, we're going to have a teaching time. And he says, you know, the way that the world acts and what I expect of you are drastically different. Followers of me, followers of Jesus will act differently than what the world does. 
When you encounter a follower of Jesus, you'll know it by the way that they act and the way that they treat and interact with the world around them. And it doesn't matter if you're the president of a country or a city official or the owner of a company or a manager or a whatever. They're, you know, when they don't know Jesus, they're going to take their power and they're going to flaunt it and they're going to use it for their own advantage. But those people in the exact same positions, those exact same positions, but they are followers of Jesus. They're going to look different. They're going to act different. They're going to interact with the people and the world around them in a different way. And Jesus continues in the very next verse. He says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you've read things like this before, and you've heard things like this before. You've heard, you know, Jesus say, you know what? Servant, that's you, slave, that's what you're going to look like. But come on, honestly, have we, have we really heard this? Have we really listened to this? Has it really gone deep into our lives? I mean, if we would have done an exercise just like 30 minutes ago, and I would have given you a blank piece of paper and a pen, you know, and, and some time and just said, write down who you are in Christ, write down some characteristics that describe you, and maybe you had time to write down 10 words or 100 words, how many of us would have written down those words, servant or slave? We don't really always hear and listen to what Jesus is so clearly saying. So often we just read or we hear these kinds of words from Jesus and we're like, yeah, I got that. I understand. What's next? What's next? What's next? We're not really listening. We're missing some things that are at the foundation of being a follower of Jesus. We're not hearing, listening, and applying what Jesus has to say. And the way that we view and interact with the world and those around us so often shows it. Because this isn't easy, is it? I mean, for, for more than 25 years, I've been using the terminology servant leader. That's my leadership style. I'm a servant leader, just like Jesus. And anybody can say that, right? We can say that. It sounds nice. We think it's really good. And we can walk and be a servant leader to those around us. Until someone treats me like a servant. Until someone treats me like a slave, right? Then suddenly, you know, these words are so much harder. When somebody begins to treat you like a servant or treat like a slave, then everything changes. It's like it's all about like my rights. Uh, it's all about my reputation, my hard work. It's all about what I am doing, what I have already done. And I don't think this is just me, is it? When someone starts to treat you like a servant or a slave, it becomes incredibly hard to continue to serve them. We all want those notes of appreciation. 
We all want those words of gratitude, and that's not bad. But have you ever done something for someone? You went out of your way. You've helped them in a time of need. You've done a favor for them, and they say nothing. They don't even acknowledge what you've done. They just take what you've done for granted. Do you ever want to do anything for them again? Do you want to continue to serve them? Do you want to continue to be a slave to them? But Jesus is speaking so incredibly clearly, and he tells us the greatness. He says, you really want to be great. I really want to be great. If that's really what you want, this is what Jesus is teaching, and we so often don't really listen to. You want to be great? Greatness is found in serving others. Here at Crossroads, it's part of our big three words, right? Worship, serve, connect. Fully see in the Gospels that Jesus and making disciples, man, none of these three things were optional. Serving one another, serving the community was never optional. You couldn't minimalize it or skip it. It was just a part of his discipleship process. And then in the early church, this discipleship process continually happened. You couldn't just skip serving other people and be a follower of Jesus. It was part of the discipleship process. The same way that you can't really say that you worship your heavenly father, but then never spend any time expressing your praise or your adoration in worship to him. They're non-optional pieces of the discipleship process. There's so many ways to serve, right? Here in our church, in our community, at your workplace, in your school, at your house. And it's so incredibly different from what the world says because the world says greatness is found in getting others to serve you, to serve me, to do what I want, to do what you want. I want you to think about it like this. Just in your brain, think about your favorite store. Oh, what is like your favorite store? It's like your go-to place. Some of you, you're struggling because there's a dozen already in your head. You don't know what's number one. Others of you, like there's more than one store, and maybe for you, it's all about Amazon, like that's it if you can't get it at Amazon. And some of you are like, it's sheets. If I can't buy it, it's sheets. Why do I even need it? Why do I even want it, right? But think about your favorite store. Here's my question for you. Why do you shop there? Do you shop there because you want the owner and stockholders to get rich? I mean, I want them to get so wealthy, I'm going to shop there. Is that why you do it? Does anybody do it for that reason? No, no, we do it because maybe of cost or convenience or of preference, uh, quality of product or service. That's why we do it, because we're getting something that we want in return. And Jesus says, come on, if you're going to serve others, if you're going to be a slave to others, it's not about what you get back. It's about who you are and me and how you're being obedient to me and serving those around you it's our human nature to want to serve those who serve us to serve those who help us but jesus can tell tells us that we can serve those that man we're going to get nothing back 
We can serve those that we don't even like. We can serve people that we don't even agree or they wouldn't agree with us. And there's a fear. There's a fear in really listening and applying Jesus' words. It's the fear that you or that I will be taken advantage of. I won't get all that is mine. I won't get what I deserve, what I want. Maybe you've heard the words conspiracy of kindness before. It's a book back in the early 2000s. Steve Shogren, a pastor of Vineyard Church out in Cincinnati area, and it was all about doing these random acts of kindness. It was all about literally, you know, being a servant, being a slave to those Romans. And, and their church, and this spread, this was big for a number of years. Uh, they would do just these most random things. They'd buy these like cases of light bulbs and they'd go door to door and they would just give the person that answered the door a light bulb. Just a random act of kindness in Jesus' name. They would form these service teams that would go to the, like, the local gas stations. And they'd walk in, they'd look to the one employee behind the counter, and they're like, we would like to clean your toilets. And they would just serve in the most random ways in the name of Jesus. They were trying to live out what Jesus says about being a servant or being a slave to those around us. Let's go back to Matthew 8 once again. It's a little bit earlier, two chapters back. He once again, he's telling them the exact same thing. Multiple times, Jesus tells them what is about to come their way. And how the disciples respond after this one, this is the one where Peter pulls Jesus to the side. A quiet one-on-one conversation. And Peter rebukes Jesus for saying this saying, Jesus, this isn't what a Messiah is all about. This isn't going to happen to you. And Jesus then takes that very private one-on-one conversation, and he loudly course-corrects Peter, because Peter needed course-correcting. You and I at time need course-correcting. And right after that, when Jesus gets that the disciples aren't really listening, that the people aren't really hearing and applying what he has to say about what is coming their way. He draws them together once again. The disciples, the crowd around, he draws them together. And in verse 34, he gives this teaching. This is the second thing that I think we don't often really hear from Jesus. The second thing that, man, you might have read a number of times or you might have heard a number of times, but I don't think we're really listening. This is what Jesus teaches. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This is why Jesus was never put in charge of any of the marketing campaigns Uh, He was never the PR person, right? Uh, Because he'd say things like, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and like thousands of followers would disappear. And Jesus says, if anyone, this is like the bar, if anyone wants to follow, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, 
and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. You've heard it. I've read it a number of times. But are we really listening? In every single gospel, Jesus is incredibly clear about the cost of discipleship. In every single gospel, Jesus teaches multiple times about the hardship of choosing to follow him. In every single gospel, Jesus uses these exact words about taking up your cross and following me. You've read it, you've heard it, but have we really listened to it? Come on, let's think about it like this. Large number of us have crosses one way or the other. Let's see if we can get any confessions. How many of you, uh, you're wearing a piece of jewelry, necklace, earrings, bracelet. How many of you have a cross something piece of jewelry? This is, it's not a bad thing. Come on, I bought one for my wife. A number of you, right? A number of you, you might have a cross tattoo somewhere on your body. Uh, for some of us, you might have some crosses in your house. I often tell Denise, we have a large number of crosses in our house. People come to our house, they might wonder, are you really a pastor or a vampire slayer? I'm not sure. We have a number of crosses in our house. But this is what's happened. This is why I think it's been hard for us to listen to this. We've romanticized the cross. We can only view the cross on this side of history. It's hard to really imagine what Jesus was saying when he teaches, when he's using these words about the cross in his time period. See, we think about the cross after that horrific Friday has been turned into Good Friday. We think about the cross in terms of forgiveness and grace and that overwhelming love of our Heavenly Father. But here's what I want to do. I want to make you all Bible translators today. And you're translating this to a group of people that have never saw or heard of a cross. That's the one word you, I want you to replace. They've never heard of a cross. They've never saw a cross. They don't know what a cross is. If you were going to replace that with a word or a few words, anybody want to be a Bible translator today? What would you make that word? Who wants to give me a guess? Any brave people? What's that? Burden. Burden? Yeah. What else? Anything else? Suffering. Suffering. All right. What else? Anything else? Electric chair. Electric chair. Yeah. Anything else? Capital punishment. Instrument of death. Take up your execution device and follow me because come on in the current culture in this time period it would be electric chair it would be lethal injection if jesus would have come to the earth in the 1700s in france it would be take up your yeah guillotine and follow me if jesus would have walked the earth here as our country was just being formed 
it would be take up your gallow and follow me? Are you starting to get it? Are you starting to understand how often we've read or heard these words, but we haven't really listened? Replace your crosses on your body or in your home with that electric chair or that lethal injection? Jesus is saying, die to self, to follow me? Be willing to give up your own life to follow me the same way I'm about to give up my own life for you? Can you hear what Jesus is saying? Death leads to life. Discipleship demands sacrifice. When there's universal agreement. Doesn't matter your level of education, PhD, scientists, uh, those that dropped out of middle school. There's universal agreement. You could basically get like all Republicans and like all Democrats to agree to this. There's universal agreement. Every one of us eventually becomes worm food, right? Everyone dies. We can all agree to that. But Jesus says, don't wait until you're dead to give up your life. Find life in the fullest in the here and now when you die to self and follow me. If we really have heard that, if we've really listened to this incredibly hard teaching of Jesus, just a couple questions for you to think through this week. Take up your instrument of death and follow me. Does that line up well at all? with a prosperity, a health and wealth gospel? Does that line up well at all with materialism, the constant pursuit of more? Does that line up well at all with popularity? Everyone will like me or agree with me. And does that line up at all with an easy life? Everything will go just the way I want it to when I follow Jesus. Death leads to life in the here and now and for all of eternity because of what God has done through his son, Jesus. We don't have to cling to our rights, our privileges, what we think is best, what we think is right. We can give up our lives and follow Jesus. And then when these frail bodies do eventually bite the dust, Death leads to life on the other side of eternity. If you want to respond to today's message on your connection card, whether you're online or in person, it reads like this. At times, we all have things that God tries to tell us, but we don't really hear. Like the disciples, we can hear the words but miss the meaning. Is there something that God's trying to speak to you or me that we're really struggling to listen to? And you might already have an answer to that, but my invitation on this four-week journey to Easter, that you just make room. Just make space in your life. Spend time with your Heavenly Father. Spend time in His Word. Spend time in conversation and prayer. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak clearly to you 
with open, listening ears. Let's pray. Father, on the journey to Easter, there is so much that we can learn. And we confess that often like the disciples, uh, we're hearing, but we're not really listening. You've spoken clearly, and we just don't get it. So as we journey to Easter, we're just opening up our lives, opening up our ears, opening up our mind. Are there some things that you're just trying to tell us clearly and we're not really listening? Give us ears to hear and a heart to be obedient. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at crbic.org. That's crbic.org.